own your mistakes, own your wins. Sarah and I just had a fun conversation about failing. (laughs) Yes, you heard that right. She failed in business and is helping others free themselves of thinking that failure is a bad thing. You will love listening to her advice, not only because she's British, but because it is super valuable and authentic advice that is really quite unconventional. You're listening to Selfish. This is where we bring self-care and bravery together to encourage you to follow your dreams. Here is your host, your favorite selfish enthusiast, Allie Hembree-Martin. Before we jump in, have you been struggling with getting your social media created for the month? Or are you just not even to that point yet and are still posting on the fly? I totally get it because I was there too. But I started practicing what I preach and I'm now planning out my content one month in advance. I cannot believe I waited this long to do this because I've now gotten my system down to only taking me 30 minutes to plan one full month of highly converting social media posts. Yep. And you can too. Visit socialwithally.com to download my plan for you. That's socialwithally.com. Sarah, I am so excited for our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So first, kick us off and tell us about yourself. So my name is Sarah Poynton. I'm based in the UK. I live just north of London and I run a property business. Uh, Well, I actually run a group of companies that are all related to property. Um, I, I started my business about five years ago from a place of uncertainty I guess is probably the best word you could use I was in a lot of debt about 60,000 pounds of debt at that time I'd started a business before that and it had not gone particularly well it taught me every way not to run a business let's just put it like that Mm -hmm. Um, and I needed to make a change and so I started um, learning how to invest in property how to make money from property and I have spent the last five and a half years building that group of companies and I love it. Um, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an auntie. I do all the like normal stuff that um, everyone does. But at the same time, I'm also uh, growing my little mini empire over here and loving every second. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I'm excited to dive into it because I, I feel like that's, it's kind of this world where people are scared to dive into it. And then once, but once you're in it, you're kind of looking back at everybody else. Like, why is not everybody doing this? Because (laughs) like, this is like, I guess, however you want to look at it, um, you know, it can either be, you know, really enjoyable or even fun uh, for some people. So I'm excited for us to to dive into the world of kind of property management and really how you got there. But Mm -hmm. I want to know from you first, when you look back, what was it that led you to getting into the property world? Like what was interesting about that? What drew you in? So I, my grandparents had property and I sort of saw property, like development investment happening around me when I was a kid without really knowing what was going on. My granddad would buy houses, do them up and live in them or sell them. And 
um, I saw what that can create. And I also was surrounded my pretty much my whole life by people that run their own businesses. So my mum has her own business. She runs a really successful salon. My auntie and uncles have businesses. My nan and granddad have businesses. My brother has a business. So I ha- have spent my whole life surrounded by people that work for themselves and live a lifestyle that that creates. Um, you know, I, I was quite young when my mum left employment to start her own business. And um, I've been around like a life where you can choose to be on your terms most of the time not all of the time but most of the time and I guess that has that helped indoctrinate me into the uh, the bumpy road of running businesses but the reason I kind of took the plunge myself was because in two so 2015 I got married and at the time I'd started my first business in 2012 and like I say it went well for the first kind of year and a half it made enough money that I was able to quit my job I think that's most entrepreneurs goals is make enough money to replace your income so you can become an entrepreneur in its truest sense and I did that and I achieved that but by the time the end of 2014 came my business was failing uh, I was using credit cards to sustain my bills and run the company and pay everybody and things and it just was sort of spiraling out of control so by the time I got married in 2015, I was about £60,000 in debt. And we went away, uh, like most married couples do. Uh, we went for a week away on a farm in a town called Colchester in the UK, which probably you guys won't know, but it's, it's just basically a tiny little town. It's definitely not the Maldives, not what you'd expect for a honeymoon. <laughs> but um, we sat and we talked about what we wanted to do next in our life. And everything was, you know, we we were excited to maybe go traveling or buy a house or have a baby or get a dog or whatever it was going to be. And everything we talked about that week just came back to, I'd love to, but I've got no money. And I decided in that week that that wasn't going to be my life. Like I worked really hard and I had nothing really to show for it at the time. And so I made a choice that I would start to choose to fix that problem. Um, and, you know, I definitely sacrificed a few things along the way in terms of like time and I went out less and I spent less money on Jack Daniels and more money on education and all of this sort of stuff. And I started my property business about six weeks after that week away and I've never looked back um, in 2017. So it took me 23 months, but I took it took 23 months and I cleared my debt, my £60,000 of debt. Wow. Um, I, I managed to learn a lot more about business because my first business I've never heard of a mentor or coach or anything like that and in my second business I'd, I'd heard of that and so I had a mentor and I learned a lot and I applied that to my failing business and I managed to sell that in the end I managed to kind of rescue it and sell it and then concentrate purely on property so honestly the reason I jumped in was out of a place of desperation and I was financially emotionally broken and I really needed to do something different and so I made a choice. And I love that kind of out of that, you've really owned this journey that you were on that the failing business led you to where you are today. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Like, how does somebody take a failing business? Maybe somebody listening has a failing business or had one in the past and they're using that as maybe a hurdle to start one in the future. But, you know, what are the lessons learned for, for you from, from a failing business? I think when you're in it, it can feel quite dark. I know I'm sure there'll be people listening to this that, that can re- um, relate to this, but I felt like I'd 
not just let myself down, but I'd let everybody around me down that had faith in me and everybody that had encouraged me, everybody that had helped me to kind of launch my business. I was embarrassed. I was, um, I'm not very good at not doing what I say I'm going to do. So having to admit defeat was a really dark headspace for me. And it took a long time for me to realize that actually that space in my life, that chapter in my life has made me a far stronger person it's made me a better decision maker because then I didn't make decisions fast I stuck my head in the sand I didn't do anything and it spiraled whereas now if I see something going wrong whether it's a member of staff or a decision I've made or an investment I've made I can make a decision fast and say right we need to change it And had I not been through those dark days and that chapter of my life, I wouldn't be the businesswoman that I am today. And so I'm actually very grateful for that chapter in my life. And whilst in the moment, it was horrific. I hated it. It was awful. And I really didn't, I really couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel in that moment. But now looking back, without it, this business would not be what it is today. And so I'm grateful that it happened. I think that's a really great way to look at it. And and really, that should be the only way we are looking at it because you can't change the past. You can't go back. So, you know, learn from your mistakes and and move on and and use them as fuel and, and use them as a part of your story and, and knowing that that happened for a reason so that you can be better equipped for what the future holds for you. So I, I really like that, Sarah. Absolutely. It's, and it's like in anything, you know, when we're a baby, we learn to walk, we fall over a million times, yet we don't just give up and just stay crawling forever. We keep going until we can walk, right? And it's the same with, you know, when I was a teenager, I used to like date boys and you kiss a lot of frogs to find the one. It's the same sort of thing. We don't give up in any other aspects of our lives that are kind of very normal and natural. But yet what we tend to do is in business, especially is we take failure and we convince ourselves that we're not worthy, we're not enough to try again. And I think that's where the there's something special in entrepreneurial people is that we are willing to dust ourselves off, kiss a lot of frogs as so it were and go again. And it's in that moment where you go again, that things change because you are not only coming from a place of resilience, but you're coming from a place of growth. And when you do that, you achieve incredible things. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, overwhelm is something that you like to address, and I know that's a feeling that many entrepreneurs experience. Um, I'm speaking from experience myself here when I'm asking this question. How do you overcome that feeling, and is there any tips or tricks that you can share that maybe anybody listening, myself included, can really start to practice in our everyday lives? Yeah, so first of all, overwhelm is a real thing, and I think sometimes what we do is we try and convince ourselves that we're not overwhelmed we're not burnt out we're just you know we've just got to keep hustling and you've got to get up at 5am and you've got to keep doing 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 and actually that is not the sign of a good business it's not the sign of a good business leader it's it, if anything you're going to crumble eventually and so overwhelm is definitely a real thing and I've been through it myself um you know even January of this year um I had a, a particularly down month because I'd been working kind of through COVID I've traded a prop I've traded five companies through COVID and I've managed to not furlough anyone not lose a single job keep everybody paid and keep things going and if I'm really honest I have my head down head like deep in it for 10 months without a breath and in January it hit and I was like blimey 
I'm overwhelmed, I'm burnt out, I need a lot, I need some time. And the thing is now, whereas the old me probably wouldn't have recognized that, the current me can see it, I can feel it, I know it's coming and I can say, do you know what, I'm going to take some time. So for me, the, the best tips I can give in terms of dealing with overwhelm now is learn to recognize it and you know even if that's keeping a journal and identify you know I score my days like my energy and my enthusiasm things out of 10 each day if I have like a consistent really low score of energy I know that there's something wrong there's something visible tangible telling me that so keep a journal is is one tip I would absolutely give you um but also when overwhelm hits or it's coming which again if you can start to recognize the the behaviors and the way you feel take a day off the world will not just end if you don't respond to your emails within like a three second window. Um, yeah, I introduced rules like I don't check my emails until midday every day because then I have half a day every single day where it's my time and I'm getting the things that I want to do done. And then I deal with other things, other things for other people that need my attention. Unless there's something like earth shatteringly urgent which is very rare in business it feels like everything's urgent but it actually isn't that's then true <laughs> people can wait from 9 a.m till midday for a response to an email and if it really is that urgent they'll phone you so things like that starting to manage your time on your terms is something that will really help as well that's a really good point and you're so right when <laughs> everything feels like such an emergency yeah. and it like spikes that cortisol in us um when you're like oh it's like a panic and yeah. um then I then I feel like something's wrong if I'm not feeling that panic during the day so yeah that's definitely a, a really good point and and way to kind of break us from this cycle of kind of getting that adrenaline pumped. Yeah, I think the um, the red notifications don't help. So um, I've turned all notifications off on my phone. I don't have any notifications at all. Um, whether it is my crypto account, my bank account, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's Facebook, all of it, all my notifications are off, which means that when I decide to go and check my emails, I'm doing it because I need to do it for a reason, as opposed to my day being controlled by a pop-up that someone else sends me, which distracts me from what I'm doing. And I find that um, when I when I had my notifications on, my screen time was, I mean, my screen time's high anyway, but my screen time was ridiculously high. Um, and I felt like I was always on the back foot because... I would be doing something, let's, I don't know, let's say I would be appraising a property investment and then I'd get a Facebook notification and I'd suddenly be in Facebook. And then 20 minutes later, I'd be like, hold on, I'm in the middle of a project here. Like, why am I dealing with Facebook stuff? And so I just switched it off. And I think it, I know it feels a bit like, oh, I'm not sure I can do that because what if I miss something? But I can promise you that there's nothing that you'll miss that's that important. And if you do miss it and it's that important, they'll phone you. So it, turning notifications off is one of the best things I've ever done. That is, I don't know why that sounds so groundbreaking because at, you know, when you think back to where we were 10 years ago, like that's not that groundbreaking, but like that seems like such a hard move. But I, at the same time, when you were saying it, I'm like, that has to happen. Like that I mean, I, has to happen. I work with a lot of clients now. We help them build their businesses. And one of the things I say to them right at the beginning is do it for a month. Just turn all your notifications off for a month and see how it impacts your headspace. Because when you're controlled by your phone going off, what's actually happening is that your head is being controlled by other people's stuff. They want stuff for them. Whereas 
if you sit down and you know you've got no notifications, they don't flag up on your phone, they don't come up on your computer, you just get into the work that you're doing, you'll be way more productive. And actually, I find that my mental health is happier because I'm not worrying about what other people need from me right now in the moment when I'm supposed to be concentrating on something else. I get to them when I get to them, when the time is allocated in my, my calendar. So um, I'd love to hear if anyone, I'm on Instagram, I am Sarah Poynton. If anyone does this and tries it, drop me a DM because I'd love to know how it impacts because it made such a huge difference to me. Yeah, I really like that, Sarah. Okay, so kind of the reason we got connected is because you really do practice and preach the importance of Mm self-worth. And given that this is um, a podcast focused on self-care that seemed very fitting for us to chat. And so I love that self-worth is something you really like to focus on. And I want to know from you, how do you find self-worth if you don't have it? So I, I wasn't always the same person that you're hearing from today. Um, there's been a big part of my life where I I was bullied as a kid. Um, I've always been a little bit overweight in my life. And when I was a a teenager, I was very much bullied for that. Um, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't know where my place was in the world. And I often tried to be something I wasn't for the people around me. Like when I was in a corporate, my corporate life, I tried to be the suit wearing, um, you know, corporate person. And I'm just not that. And I think honestly, where I found my, my self-worth was was very much in just deciding that I was going to just be me I was going to be the authentic version of me warts and all you know I'm I'm quite an emotional person I'm very much chimp if you've read the chimp paradox and I'm very much a chimp and I'm very reactive and um, I'm not (laughs) emotionally very intelligent and I swear a bit too much you know I do kick around in trainers and jeans and a hoodie you'll never see me in in a suit if I'm in a million pound meeting, I'll still turn up in jeans and trainers and a hoodie. And I think I found my self-worth in finding out who I was and working out what I stand for, what I believe in, what I will and won't put up with. Um, and in that, finding kind of settling on who that is. I have to say, when I turned 30, I also had a big jump in terms of my self-worth. <laughs> there was um, there was like someone flicked a switch and all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to just be me. And when I was the younger version of me, I really struggled with who I was and what I stood for. Whereas the older version of me, with a bit more life experience under my belt, I think I've realized that I don't need to be what I think the world wants me to be. I just need to wake up, be me. And the people that align with me will work with me. And the people that don't, that's also fine. They won't work with me. And actually that's better because you don't want to work with people that are you you don't connect with. So I think the the biggest tip on this is to try not to fake it. They say fake it till you make it. And I actually don't agree with that. I think be you, I think be true and own your mistakes, own your wins. And the the self-worth kind of comes from that place. Yeah, I really like that. And and on top of self-worth, which I feel like this kind of goes hand in hand, which I had never thought about until, you know, I, I really started to see kind of, the messaging that you, you know, like to talk about, but that's the importance of consistency. And I really do think now that you've said that, that really consistency and self-worth are very much the same. It's, it's this practice of 
really trusting yourself and kind of honoring a commitment that you've made to yourself or to someone else. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. Why do you feel consistency is so important and why it's a topic of conversation? I think consistency allows you to enter into effectively a routine, if that makes sense. You know, if you, if you look at like Nike, right, Nike is a brand and we know what we get from Nike. We get good quality. We, all right, they're not the cheapest, but you always know that you're going to get a good quality product. You get the same from, we have a brand here called John Lewis. I don't know if you have that way you guys are. No. Um, But we, you know, there's a reason why you buy a sofa from John Lewis and not from Primark, because you know you're going to get consistency in quality, in service and all those sorts of things. And it's the same with human beings. Show up as yourself and be the version of you that you can consistently sustain And you'll always be the best version of yourself. It'll always be a higher quality product, a higher quality delivery, whether it's personal life or professional life or business or whatever it is, being consistently you and authentically you is the best version of you there is. So be the best brand, be the best version of you. Don't be a cheap imitation of somebody else. Drop the mic right there. (laughs) I love it. That, That was definitely a drop the mic moment. So, um, I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest mistake that you see other entrepreneurs making in their business? I think the biggest mistake I see other people making is the same mistakes as I made at the beginning. And I thought that um, I had to be working 24-7 to be considered successful. I thought that I had to be doing all the things for all the people and to be considered successful. And if I'm really honest, in the in the quite early days of my business, sort of 2016, 17, I think the version of me you're hearing today wasn't the same version. And, you know, my relationships in my life suffered. Um, my marriage was quite turbulent at the time. I had friends who didn't really get what I was all about and what I was trying to do. And I think I went too far into the... I'm a business person. I'm going to hustle, hustle, hustle till I make it. And actually I hit overwhelm. I hit burnout, but also my personal life suffered because of it. And I think what I see a lot of entrepreneurial people, people trying to start businesses or relaunch businesses or pivot businesses through the last 12 months is instead of being, instead of doing focused, like targeted work, in dedicated time, they actually allow their whole life to be consumed by a business. And then they're not being very effective and efficient in their time. So my, you know, I was at my desk in 2017, I was at my desk at like 7am every day, and I was not leaving the office some days till 11pm. Obviously, my husband was grumpy about that, you know, I wasn't eating well, I put on weight, I wasn't training. And I think when you allow yourself to be consumed by your business, actually you might feel very busy and very productive but if you look at like if you took a bird's eye look at your life you'll realize that there's other things that are not working and you have to have a balance for it all to work there's no point having success in business if you've got nobody to share it with because you've upset the whole world around you because you've not given it any attention you have to strike a balance Mm. such a good lesson and I'm sure many people listening will take that to heart Sarah, I'm curious, how do you like to be selfish? I think for me, the there's a few non-negotiables in my life. So I, I don't wake up with an alarm clock 
ever. Uh, it's, well, not ever. It's very rare that I'll set an alarm clock. If I'm going on holiday and I've got to get an airplane, then I will set an alarm. But generally, my working week, I wake up when I wake up. And I don't feel like I need to be up at 5 a.m. to be considered successful. Some days I am, some days I'm not. Um, today I got up at half eight and I'm quite comfortable with that. So for me, that's some people consider that selfish. Um, I'm okay with that because I start work at 10 o'clock that's my working day begins at 10 a.m so whatever I do before that it's it's me time I sit I have a coffee I catch up on my socials sometimes um sometimes I'll sit and read a book sometimes I'll train you know I'm training for a marathon well two marathons at the moment so sometimes I run um that's kind of my me time so I'm selfish in that time and that's sort of non-negotiable for me I won't book meetings in at 8 a.m and things like that because I just don't want to and so I don't um I have a bath so my bath like having a bath is like my downtime it's the, my time to switch off because you can't work in a bath it's impossible you can't have any technology so for me I actually have a bath most nights where I'll lay in a bath for like 45 minutes and I'll just switch off and again it's most nights it's like a non-negotiable for me it's my right I'm gonna decompress um and you know I reward myself that's an absolute non-negotiable for me I have milestones and rewards and I hit a goal I will always reward myself with the thing I set so for example uh, we've got a target in the business this year to to enter into the seven figure mark which I'm very excited about and when I do that I've got a particular watch that I've had an eye on for about five years and when I do it I will go and buy my watch and so for me that selfishness or self-care self-love is really all the same thing I make sure that I pat myself on the back when I do a good job for things. And I think that is something that everybody in business, in personal life, in everything, when you hit a milestone, whether it's a tiny reward or a giant reward, it doesn't have to be millions of pounds. It could be a tiny thing that's important to you. Reward yourself and make sure you give yourself that pat on the back because what that's doing is teaching you that to get up and fight again and go again. When you don't reward yourself, all you're doing is teaching your subconscious that it's not really worth the effort. So I would say they're kind of my three things. Love those. Yeah. Good inspiration for us as we're thinking through ways that we can practice um, better self-care. Is there anything you wish you could be doing more? Oh, wow. <laughs> Loads of things. Um, I'm one of those people I want, I would like to do everything. I, I, have, I get excited by projects and I think, now, in terms of my property business right now, we have a target to build 250 homes in 10 years. Um, and so wow. building more homes is definitely on the, the radar. Um, but my I have a, a secret, not so secret goal. Um, which I love public speaking. I love being on a stage. I love build, empowering and bringing out confidence in people who run businesses and do what we do. And I've got a goal to speak on a stage to an audience of 10,000 people. So I would like to be doing more of that because... I believe something that I, I've been given a gift is to be able to help people feel more confident and less lonely in running businesses. And I would like to share that message with as many people as I could. Sarah, what's next for you? Well, we're on the back. We've, we've, we seem to have touched wood, handled the COVID situation, which is yes. fab. Um, we, our education company absolutely exploded in 2020 because we took our events company online. And so that, is a big focus of mine at the moment. Um, we are, as I've mentioned, we've got a target of 250 homes in 10 years. So for us, building new homes, new developments, new like from the ground up uh, buildings is where my 
heart is, if you like, at the moment. Um, I think over the next few years, my personal ambitions are to pay the mortgage down on the house that I live in. So I've always got something to live in forever. Um, and that for me is where, as far as I can focus at the minute, I'm kind of working to about 40 at the moment. And then after that, who knows what's possible? Anything's possible, right? Um, I am really blessed that I have a lot of different opportunities presented to me often. And I love everything that I'm doing at the moment across the property space, creating homes for people, um, helping people build businesses. I'm loving it. I love every day of it. And so I'm just going to live in the moment and see where we end up. I love that. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to connect, Sarah, because I feel like you really did approach kind of business in a different way than than maybe we've ever talked about on the podcast before. So I really appreciate you bringing that insight and, and your honesty, quite frankly, because I think some of these things can be difficult to talk about. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like what you just heard? Visit us at SelfishThePodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes today.